0: Hey, it's Tuck. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that this week's episode include mentions of trans death, including murder, as well as the concept of suicidality. Uh, no details are shared, but please take care of yourselves however you need. Welcome to Gender Reveal, a podcast where we hopefully get a little bit closer to understanding what the hell gender is. I'm your host and resident gender detective, Tuck Woodstock. Hey everyone, I hope you're all hanging in there. For our season six premiere, I am thrilled to be sharing my recent conversation with TransLash founder Amara Jones. I first met Amara when we both guested on Maria Anahosa's In The Thick podcast together, and I have been a huge fan of Amara's podcast, aptly named the Translash podcast, ever since she launched it a few months ago. I think it was a few months ago. What is time? In this week's episode, Amara talks about why anger is sometimes our best tool for change.
1: And it is enraging that people don't hear you unless you are screaming, but then say, oh, we're afraid of you because you're screaming. Well, if you listened, I wouldn't have to shout. And why trans people are essential to building better futures. All of the things that we have had to endure as trans people make us the right people to lead in these moments.
0: But before we get to that, of course, it is announcement time. First and foremost, thanks to the hard work of Gigi, Xander, Isara, Brenna, Kara, and our whole team of transcriptionists, we finally have transcripts of every episode of the show available at genderpodcast.com slash listen. If you are new to the show, I have put together a bunch of lists of episodes you might like. Sort of sorted of based on interest. So if you go to genderpodcast.com slash starter packs, you will find like a list of authors we love, a list of cartoonists, a list of indigenous guests, a list of transparents, a list of the advice episodes, even though you should be able to find them anyway, uh, all sorts of good stuff there. So again, that is genderpodcast.com slash starter packs. But for now, it is time for This Week in Gender. <laughs> Before we do anything else this season, I want to take a few moments to remember Monica Roberts, who passed away in October. I am so nervous that I'm not going to do her justice, so I'm going to let her introduce herself via the bio on her website. So it says, Monica Roberts, aka the Trans Griot, is a native Houstonian, GLAD award-winning blogger, writer, and award-winning trans human rights advocate. She's the founding editor of Transgrio, and her writing has appeared in the Billerico Project, Ebony.com, Huffington Post, and The Advocate. She works to foster understanding and acceptance of trans people inside and outside communities of color. Among her many honors are the Virginia Price Transgender Pioneer Award, the Robert Coles Call of Service Award, the Barbara Jordan Breaking Barriers Award, and the 2020 Susan J. Hyde Award for Longevity in the Movement. In a few minutes, we're going to hear Amara talk about her relationship with Monica. Uh, but first, let me tell you a bit about transgrio. So to quote from Monica's New York Times obituary, uh, in the West African tradition, a griot is a storyteller, and Ms. Roberts set out to tell the stories and history and lived experiences of the transgender community. She started her blog in 2006, at a time when coverage of transgender issues by the mainstream media was limited and often deemed offensive by those being covered. So what they're hinting at is that back in 2006, uh, most media outlets knew even less and cared even less about how to respectfully talk about trans people uh, than they do now. So Monica created TransGrio as this much needed space for trans storytelling and trans reporting in which uh, trans folks wouldn't be misgendered or dead named or overlooked or disrespected. And she became very good at what must have been a really awful job, which was counting how many trans people had been murdered because... Of course, mainstream media outlets would typically misgender and deadname trans people who are killed, which is not only disrespectful and violent in and of itself, but it also prevents our community from having an accurate understanding of the rates of trans violence that's occurring. And perhaps most importantly, it also prevents friends of the deceased person from even knowing that their friend has been killed because, like, why would you know all of your friend's dead names? So, in January, I was writing a story about systemic violence against trans women for Portland Monthly magazine. And I spent a lot of time clicking through the 14 years of trans archives learning from Monica. And I opened the story talking about her and her blog because I consider her to be the preeminent authority on uh, trans murder victims, which is, again, a terrible thing to be an authority on. And I'm so grateful to her for doing that work. And I want to make sure to explicitly acknowledge that the vast majority of trans murder victims in the United States are Black trans women. And to clarify that while Monica herself was a Black trans woman, she did not die violently unless you count the violence of a medical system that's inaccessible to Black and trans and lower income people. Of course, Monica didn't only write or think about trans violence. She was on all these boards and panels and she wrote about all sorts of other things as well. Her most recent blog posts include a piece about judging the 2020 Miss Trans Global pageant, uh, sending well wishes to trans political candidates like Mia Mason and Sarah McBride, and uh, several weeks of official trans griot NFL picks, which I found really endearing. We're gonna talk more about Monica today and a bit later this season, but I just wanted to thank Monica from the bottom of my heart for everything she has done for our communities. We would not be where we are today without her. This has been This Week in Gender. Amara Jones, whose work has won Emmy and Peabody awards, Is the creator of TransLash Media, a cross-platform journalism, personal storytelling, and narrative project which produces content to shift the current culture of hostility towards transgender people in the United States. She is also the first journalist-in-residence at WNYC's The Green Space, where she hosts the monthly program Lives at Stake, and is the host of the TransLash podcast. In 2020, Amara was featured on the cover of Time Magazine as part of its new American Revolution special edition. In 2019, she chaired the first-ever UN high-level meeting on gender diversity with over 600 participants. Amara's work as a host, on-air news analyst, and writer focuses on the full range of social justice and equity issues. Amara has been featured regularly in The Guardian, The Nation, MSNBC, CNBC, NPR, Mike, Colorlines, and is the frequent guest host of the In the Thick podcast. Amara has held economic policy positions in the Clinton White House and communications positions at Viacom. She holds degrees from the London School of Economics in Columbia, and she is a 2019 Soros Equality Fellow. The way we always start the show in terms of gender, how do you identify?
1: I identify as a woman. She, hers are my pronouns.
0: So I want to dive into all sorts of things that you do. I'm so excited to be talking to you. But before that, uh, we actually haven't released an episode in a while. We've been between seasons. So we haven't released anything since Monica Roberts passed away. And oh, wow. celebrating her is one of the first things like I want to do in this season. Yeah. And so I was actually wondering if you would be willing to tell our listeners uh, more about Monica's legacy and like what she's meant to you.
1: Yeah, I think it's hard to understate the importance of Monica Roberts in the history of trans people and specifically the history of how we have come to see ourselves in the way that we expect other people to see us. Uh, Monica Roberts was um, a journalist and an activist. She, in so many ways, helped to craft And lay the groundwork for what trans journalism is. That is to say how to be a part of a community and cover it at the same time. She was essential in raising up the stories of trans people who were murdered, of discovering those who were being misgendered, of insisting that Um, those who were misgendered be properly gendered, and that people take their lives and their stories and what happened to them seriously. And that didn't really happen before Monica Roberts began to insist upon that. So for any of us who are trans journalists or storytellers like myself, we owe her so much. And not only did she tell the stories of death, but she was often the ones who told the stories of trans triumphs. She was a walking library in terms of what trans people had done, what, when, and who those people were. I think for me, she was and is an inspiration. I said at the time of her death that she uh, is and was an essential North Star for for trans journalists, and I think that that's absolutely right. And I know that there were so many people who were moved by her passing, from Janet Mock to Laverne Cox to um, Raquel Willis, Alok, the list really goes on. I think that we have to find ways to both preserve her memory and preserve her legacy and to make sure that we continue to uphold the standards of demanding that people take our lives seriously and that we cover them in a way that honors people's humanity.
0: Yeah, she was so inspirational, I think, to any any trans journalist. It's, it's really hard to imagine the world of trans journalism without her. So I do want to talk about TransLash. You're the founder of TransLash. Uh, the tagline is TransLash tells trans stories to save trans lives during this pivotal moment in history. That's right. Can you tell us more about how TransLash got started and and what you mean by telling trans stories to save trans lives?
1: Yeah. Well, TransLash got started at the tail end of another project that I did that was also an independent media project, which was figuring out ways to reconceptualize um, the news for marginalized people overall in the United States. As that project wound down, uh, I asked people, it's called The Last Sip. And so I asked our team, I said, well, what what should we do? We have a little bit of money left over. What should we do? And everyone said, you should tell the story of what it means to be trans right now. And the first words out of my mouth, the very first words out of my mouth was, why would I do that? Nobody's going to care about that. Mm, Wow. That was the first thing that I said, it just rolled out of my tongue, and it was—it's weird to think of the way in which we can think that our our stories are not important or that no one's going to care about us. I think that that can be a a condition of being trans, and I didn't even realize that I was doing that, or that I even had those thoughts. So, and I also thought there are all these other people that were out there doing things like on YouTube or whatever, and I was like, well, you know, why why do I why would I do I need to come alongside that? And then we ha- I said, but, I, you know, we'll have one, one more meeting, and at the last meeting, we'll talk about this again. So we had our very, very, very last team meeting, and I asked the question again. And then everybody said that I should do it. And one of the really good things about me is that I know when I should listen to other people. Um, it's just kind of a, a, a trick, right, knowing when you should listen and when you shouldn't, even if you disagree with people. And I was like, I thought about it and I said, okay, I trust everybody here and I should do it. But then I said, if I do it, I'm gonna do it in a way in which I not only tell my story, but I tell the story of a community. And then within that, tell the story of the country, like where it is. And we made the first short doc and it was received really well. And so then I just began to put more energy And as I did more, I understood the critical nature of what I was doing. And that's also really interesting to me as well. What I've learned from this project is that the things that we create change us as much as we change them. And so as I began to understand the importance of what I was doing and how I was doing it in a way that was unique and that was resonating, I then understood that what I needed to do was to grow it, to have the impact that I saw that it could have that is to save lives. You know, I think that one of the major reasons why we face so much hostility and so much violence is because people don't see us as human and that they essentially devalue us. And I think that a huge part of storytelling, I mean, throughout time, we do it right now, is that it allows us to go into the humanity of other people so that we can understand them, so that we can can connect with them, so that we have illumination in terms of who they are and what they're going through. And it is my belief that the more we do that, the more that we see um, the humanity of other people, the more people see our humanity as trans people, the less likely they are to support violent policies against us, to allow people to say or to harm us with their words or with their deeds. And it changes the atmosphere in which our murders take place, which is against this backdrop of dehumanization. And that's why I think storytelling is really essential. It's also really important for us as trans people to be able to see possibility life a road ahead. And one of the most powerful moments for me was when we released The Future of Trans in June, I got a, a note in my inbox from a trans person who said that seeing that documentary had prevented them from committing suicide the night before. And that's why I believe that storytelling can save lives. It helps us save our own lives, and it also helps to change the atmosphere of harm that leads to our death.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful. I'm so glad that that could be there for that person. So thank you for everything you're doing for our community. So I asked you, you know, what you wanted to talk about on the show, and one of the things you said was that transness is essential to women's equality. Can you talk about what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, One of the things that is essential in discrimination and in patriarchy is body essentialism. This attachment of certain characteristics to certain bodies. And the need, therefore, to then place limitations in custom and in law based upon body essentialism, right? So that because your body, theoretically, right, and we know it's not universally true for any for all types of bodies, but for example, because your body is in this narrative capable of reproducing children because it has certain hormones that we associate with varying characteristics that are not related to patriarchy that women as a whole have to be classified and segregated In a totally different area of society, and therefore, then excluded from a whole host of other things because you and your body biologically are not suited for those things, right? That's the argument in so many areas about cis women. And so, as long as we are biologically determined, in quotes, it will always lay the groundwork for. Discrimination, exclusion, and oppression. And what we have to do is to decouple gender from bodies because essentially it is decoupled because gender, as we know, is this weird combination of like social construct, personal definition, and your body. It's this weird area. Like gender has got all these different things going on in it, but it is this kind of like artificial construction, or parts of it are artificial. And so it's not linked to bodies anyway. It's linked to these ideas and customs and desires and images and a whole host of other things. So it shouldn't be coupled with bodies anyway. But as we're able to put it in its appropriate place to separate gender from bodies, then there's no reason for any type of exclusion. And if what I'm saying sounds odd to people this the argument that i'm making is actually the reason why the right wing says that transness is so threatening that it threatens the social order because we cannot have these divisions that allow us to have patriarchy in a way that we think that patriarchy is appropriate and they're obsessed with us for that reason because they understand that if the way that we understand gender and gender notions becomes widespread, then patriarchy itself is a done deal. And that's fundamentally why cis women and feminists have to embrace us if they ever want full equality.
0: You also uh, wrote recently in Time magazine uh, that the future is trans because the ways we've gone about organizing human life have changed in really fundamental ways. Is that similar to what you were talking about or is that different?
1: It's it's similar to what I'm talking about. I mean, I, I really think that we are essential to the future for so many different reasons, but I think that we are essential to the future because I think all of the things that we have had to endure as trans people make us the right people to lead in. These moments, right? We understand that society has to fundamentally change. The way in which we relate to the environment has to fundamentally change. The way in which we relate to other people has to change. And this 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 journey of transformation, this journey of thinking outside the binary, this journey of knowing what rules to break and how to break them and how when we do it in the right way that we can actually lead to better lives. Those are things that we all have as trans people, every single one of us. And those are the skills that our society needs but is so badly lacking right now. And that if we're going to have a future collectively as human beings, then trans people have to be in the vanguard, have to be at the center of that, need to be a part of every part of society, helping people to manage these transformations that, that the whole world is going to have to go through. And that's one of my, my essential messages as well, that like, we are essential to the future. The future cannot happen without us. It, it will not, it will not be.
0: Yeah, you also write in that article that black trans women are essential to creating the future because when everything fails you, you're more clearly able to reimagine what it would look like if things worked, which is what you just said. But I just I love that as a quote.
1: I think that that's right. I mean, I think that like when things aren't working, you know, you don't question things when they're working for you. You just don't. You know what I mean? Like when the lights work all the time, you don't you don't give a wit like where the electricity comes. You don't think about any of that. Right. It's when the lights don't work that you suddenly freak out. Oh my God, whatever. And how did light, How did lights not work? What? We have this aging equipment, whatever. You know, you then question everything. And so I think that like, in thinking about why the opportunities were different for me um, as a trans person in journalism versus other people and why we don't see ourselves represented, why we don't see our stories covered in the right way, why the healthcare system is so such a landmine for us. Why do I have to go to court to change my name? Why is the state so interested in what I call myself, right? Like, and why do I have to go to the state to ask for permission? You know, the way in which um, so many systems fail Black trans people, from education to employment to housing, like you name it, there's just not anything that is working black trans women which is why there's such high levels of marginalization but when those things aren't working you can then look at the gaps and see them really clearly and you can see the failures really clearly and then you can begin to imagine and think about ways to address those that people who never question things um never do and that's why i often have this saying where like if you center black trans people in policymaking and job recruitment and all these other things that you'll actually shift the way those things are done for everybody and create new possibilities for everybody. That, that, you know, one of the things that we're, we understand intuitively is how it's not win or loss, right? It's how to expand our whole lives are about expansion and growth. And so I think that that's one of the reasons why we have to include Black trans women in everything, is that it's not about this trade-off. It's about the definitions of creating more.
0: You start every episode of Translash with a moment of trans joy, and you end it with something that you're looking forward to. And... I think completely separately, unless I did this subconsciously, uh, I've also been trying to ask our guests uh, what they're looking forward to, specifically this season, because it's so hard to look forward to anything in these times when we're you know trapped indefinitely in a quarantine during a pandemic and all these other things. Uh, so I'm curious you know, what you're looking forward to or what's bringing you trans joy lately.
1: Ooh, what's bringing me trans joy? Well, you know what I am loving are all of the Trans Awareness Week posts. I love seeing all of the people who are living their lives, going to school, raising kids, doing all of the normal stuff of life, posting about being proud of being trans and posting about their journeys. Um, I love those posts. And I love looking at those posts of, you know, people in all parts of the country doing all sorts of things, celebrating their lives. I am I'm, I'm super inspired by that. So that brings me transfer. And then there's so many beautiful things that were that were that are had have been done this year in terms of shooting trans people and I mean uh, through film and uh, photographs. <laughs> I was, not I was with like, What's not with here? firearms. <laughs> not with firearms, but shooting as in photo shoot. Uh-huh. Um you know so many really interesting and beautiful things that are also being done around this week that are more stylized. And all those things give me life because it's like Living in a trans world for a week, <laughs> you know, like, um, which I, which I really find inspirational. So that's my trans joy. Like other trans people are my trans joy for real.
0: I want to ask, uh, if there's anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we talk about or just anything on your mind right now.
1: Yeah. Since this is, um, a conversation and a podcast about gender, I think for me, the thing that, is essential is that we have to work really hard as trans people to not replicate the binary that we found oppressive, mm-hmm. that we don't let the idea of fulfilling our, if you define yourself, manhood or womanhood, or however you define yourself, even if as it's non-binary as well, to not replicate in the process of becoming ourselves, the oppression of the gender binary. I think it's an essential part of our work that we work really hard to not do that, that we don't police each other, that we pro- provide space for each other to really be ourselves outside of that. And for us to not allow the fulfillment of other people's ideas of who you should be if, if you define your gender in traditional terms, define uh, your ability to figure out what you want to do, how you wanna dress, how you wanna move through the world, who you want to love, how you wanna love um, in all aspects. I think it's a huge, it's a huge trap that we've got to avoid.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And that actually leads us to our last question, which is in your ideal world, what would the future of gender look like?
1: The future of gender for me is about possibility It is a future without patriarchy, and core to that future is that we get to tell the world who we are. The world doesn't get to impose itself on us, and that when we tell the world who we are, there's not a negative consequence in terms of life chances, opportunities, and happiness when we do that. And it is a future, therefore, of unimaginable possibility, because we haven't lived that future without restrictions and that when we do, there will be new combinations, ideas, ways of being that we can't even imagine right now. And that for me is what I want to be, the future of gender. It is wide open and it is free and we are defined by so many other things than who the world tells us who we are and consequently therefore what we can and cannot do. It is a future that is limitless.
0: Mm. Amara, it was such a privilege and a pleasure and a joy to speak with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're so busy and this was just really, really incredible. I really appreciate you.
1: Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you keep doing that excruciating in the weeds work of one group at a time one company at a time getting them to act right because those things stacked up over time are a change so thank you so much thank you
0: well i will do my best um while also taking a break at some point uh but- yes, take a break. <laughs> that's an order that's gonna do it for this week's show You can find Amara's work at Translash.org and AmaraJones.com. Find her on social media at Translash Media and Venmo her for her time and labor at Amara Jones. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at G-E-N-D-E-R-E-V-E-A-L. I'm also on Twitter at Tuck Woodstock. You can visit genderpodcast.com to find our starter packs of episodes sorted by theme, our transcripts of the show, our contact form, much more. And you can support the work that we do at patreon.com gender, where just $1 gets you access to our weekly newsletter, and $5 or more gets you stickers and other fun prizes. This show was produced and edited by me, Tuck Woodstock. But we have another producer joining us this season, Isara Seves. Thank you, Isara, for everything you have done and will continue to do for us. And thank you to Oliver Ash Klein and Montana Thomas for your help in making this episode happen as well. Our logo, which I'm obsessed with, is by the talented Ira M. Lai. Our theme song is by the legendary Breakmaster Cylinder. Additional music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more feelings about gender.